Hey folks, this is Jesse Cope. We're back with another episode of the American Soul Podcast. Hope y'all are doing well. Thank y'all for joining me as always, giving me a little bit of your time. For those of y'all that continue to share the podcast, sure to appreciate it. Thank y'all very much for helping it to grow and spreading the word. I'm going to take one of our little walks down the road today. I have one dog so far and no one else. Kind of still, not a whole lot of background noise. We'll just see how the day goes. So we're going to pick up a little bit where we left off the last episode. I was starting to read parts of a speech from, I don't know, speech may be overdone, but some comments by Senator Byrd. And I'm going to kind of frame that a little bit, and then I'm going to add a couple more to it. So one of the things that you hear so often today is that, and we talk about this constantly, folks, but for those of y'all that don't listen to this podcast all the time or haven't in a while, one of the things that we often talk about is how much this lie today is spread that America was not, as President Wilson said, born a Christian nation. He said that America was born a Christian nation, and it's, we talk about that frequently. And when you look back, the more you dig into our history, the more you look at it, the more obvious this becomes. And the failures, the times when we have chosen poorly, are the times when we have gone away from Christ's teachings. And so I'm going to hit a few quotes from this little speech by Senator Byrd that I've talked about before, and then I'm going to add a couple other things I found to it. Just to kind of remind us, folks, muscle memory, right? We talk about that pretty frequently, too. And one other thing about this, and I started to say it on the last episode, I think. Just because you don't agree with everything that another person says, that doesn't mean that you can't find some common ground. Because if we were going to throw out everything from every person that we didn't agree with 100% of the time, we wouldn't have anything left. And that also doesn't mean that some people that make some really bad decisions in life, you can't find some wisdom from them on occasion. Uh, Perhaps you ought to be a little cautious when you listen to their words, uh, but maybe we should do that more often just across the board. So there's going to be some people that I quote on here sometimes that y'all dig up and learn a little bit about and you don't like much and that's okay. The point is folks that we've got to be looking at principles. That's, that's part of the problem today in modern politics is it's become a popularity contest and we're not so worried about what people stand for as, well, is this my guy or is this your guy? And really, Or is this person really good or are they really bad? Which no politician is going to be perfect, folks, if you haven't figured that out. But what we really ought to be worried about more is the vast majority of the time, what are the principles that they stand for? And on any given subject, when they talk about something, we need to look and think, well, is this true or is this not? The reason I bring this up is because if you don't know it, and I may be a little bit off here, but some of my listeners, y'all will correct me, I'm sure, and I appreciate that. 
Senator Robert Byrd was uh, a known member, maybe even up the chain of command, so to speak, uh, in the KKK. He was certainly, at times in his life, openly racist, bigoted. And there's no, no excuse for that, folks, on any side. We see too much of it today still. And it's not just from white to black or brown, but also from black to white or brown to white or whatever it is. Anytime you use skin color to value a person or an event, that makes you, you're the one that's in the wrong, regardless of what direction you're coming at it from. And I certainly would not try and defend that here. But that doesn't take away from the comments that I'm about to read. And this, this message that he delivered to the Senate was on June 27th, 1962. It was just two days after the Supreme Court had declared that prayer in schools was unconstitutional. And he was warning Congress about the disastrous results of this decision, which we have come to see across the board. You look out in the nation and it would be very difficult to argue that our schools morally were in a better point now, our children, than they were when we had God and the Bible and prayer in those schools. So I'm going to read... This, these few sentences, and then we'll talk about it some. Inasmuch as our greatest leaders have shown no doubt about God's proper place in the American birthright, can we, in our day, dare to do less? In no other place in the United States are there so many and such varied official evidences of deep and abiding faith in God on the part of government as there are in Washington. Every session of the House and the Senate begins with prayer. Each House has its own chaplain. The 83rd Congress set aside a small room in the Capitol just off the rotunda for the private prayer and meditation of members of Congress. The room's focal point is a stained glass window showing George Washington kneeling in prayer. Behind him is etched these words from Psalm 16.1. Preserve me, O God. For in thee do I put my trust. Inside the rotunda is a picture of the pilgrims. Very clear are the words. The New Testament according to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. On the cell is the motto of the pilgrims. And God we trust, God with us. In the phrase, in God we trust, it appears opposite the president of the Senate who is the Vice President of the United States. The same phrase, in large words, inscribed in the marble, backdrops the Speaker of the House of Representatives. Above the head of the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court are the Ten Commandments, with the great American eagle protecting them. Moses is included among the great lawgivers in Herman A. McNeil's marble sculpture group in the East Front. The crier who opens each session closes with the words, God save the United States and this honorable court. On the south bank of Washington's tidal basin, Thomas Jefferson still speaks. God who gave us life gave us liberty. Can the liberties of a nation be secure when we have removed a conviction that these liberties are the gift of God? 
Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. Jefferson's words are a forceful and explicit warning that to remove God from this country will destroy it. It's exactly what we see, folks, right now. So I'm going to add a couple more to this. Um, One is, you go back to the Declaration of Independence, and you see uh, in the beginning, the very first paragraph, read that real quick, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. So laws of nature and of nature's God, there's always a lot of talk about our founders just simply being deists and basing all of our our country and our republic and in particular in this case the declaration. They were just talking about some random deity, you know, it could have been this God or Allah or could have been God from Buddha or Hindu or or whatever you want to talk about, Mother Nature. But when you get into it, uh, Sir William Blackstone, back in the mid to late 1700s, was, he lectured at Oxford. He wrote a book, Commentaries on the Laws of England, which by 1775, right, just as we were going into our Revolutionary War, had sold more copies in America than in England. His commentaries, which were universally accepted in America, set the foundation for great legal minds such as Chief Justice John Marshall. I'm reading from America's God and Country Encyclopedia of Quotations, by the way, just for a second here. Such as Chief Justice John Marshall... When scholars examined nearly 15,000 items written by the Founding Fathers from 1716 or 1760 to 1805, including books, newspaper articles, monographs, pamphlets, etc., they found that Sir William Blackstone was quoted more than any other author except one. I think uh, Montague, or I'm not sure how you pronounce the guy's name. I can't think of it off the top of my head right now. And then the Bible, of course, both, more than both. Or right there with him. James Madison, who was the chief architect of the Constitution, endorsed Blackstone. And Madison was Bill of Rights, right? He said, I very cheerfully express my approbation of the proposed edition of Blackstone's commentaries. So he was supporting that particular edition of Blackstone's commentaries. And these are a couple things that Blackstone had to say. Man, considered as a creator or as a creature must necessarily be subject to the laws of his creator. For he is entirely a dependent being, and consequently, as man depends absolutely upon his maker for everything, it is necessary that he should in all points conform to his maker's will. This will of his maker, all of those are capitalized by the way, maker, is called the law of nature. These laws laid down by God are the eternal, immutable laws of good and evil. This law of nature, dictated by God himself, is of course superior in obligation to any other. It is binding over all the globe in all countries and at all times. No human laws are of any validity if contrary to this. 
The doctrines thus delivered we call the revealed or divine law, and they can be found only in the Holy Scriptures, and are found upon comparison to really be part of the original law of nature. Upon these two foundations, the law of nature and the law of revelation, depend all human laws. That is to say, no human laws should be suffered to contradict these. And he goes on to say quite a bit more, folks, and we'll come back to Blackstone again at some point we have before. But the point is that Blackstone was extremely influential, including this part of it. And so when you hear laws of nature and of nature's God in our declaration in the very beginning of it, that's a direct reference to God the Father, God of Christianity, uh, and his son, Jesus Christ. And the people at that point would have known that uh, in our founding generation. And so you can add that to Senator Byrd's long list of, or pretty influential list. How about that? It was a short list. We can can do a lot longer than we have on this podcast. But very influential list of proofs showing how based in Christianity our nation is. And I've got one more that I just ran across that I want to run through real quick because... The Gettysburg Address by Lincoln is one of our, arguably one of our most influential speeches ever given, political speeches ever given by a president. And at the very end of it, Lincoln writes that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. November 19th, 1863. This is from the Bliss copy of the Gettysburg Address. And so, a couple things there. One, just a side note, or maybe not a side note. Lincoln acknowledges that America is under God, and he's talking about Jesus Christ and God the Father. Um, So this idea that that the little mottos that we have on our coins, which we've talked about before, the fact that we say that in the pledge or anywhere else is some new modern idea is completely false. And Supreme Court really should have known that. The fact that they pulled this back in the 60s and 50s and 40s, started to use Jefferson's separation of church and state as an excuse to kick Christianity out of our country. The more you dig into it, folks, if those people were really as knowledgeable and wise as they claim to be, then they really, I should have just said knowledgeable, then they really weren't that wise. They were actually being pretty devious. But the reason I read this is because not only does Lincoln use under God already, but this government of the people, by the people, for the people, really goes all the way back to John Wycliffe back in the 1300s, who was a professor at Oxford University and really became a apparently a pretty significant reformer in England. He was the first to translate the Bible into the English language, known as the Morning Star of the Reformation. And in his 1384 translation of the Bible, he wrote a general prologue, and it is, The Bible is for the government of the people, by the people, and for the people. So everywhere you turn, folks, these little commentaries lead us back to one thing, to God. 
No, you do not have to be Christian in order to be American. But regardless of if you put your faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, which I strenuously encourage that you dig into that if you haven't already, but regardless of if you do or not, our country will not function if we don't follow those principles and teachings of Christ. And if we don't have God and the Bible at the core of our institutions, education in particular, and our, our public policy, our government, the idea that we have to put Christianity in some closet and shut the door when we're talking in the public life and the public sphere is ludicrous. There's just no evidence, no historical evidence to back that up. Or, or what it is has been taken and twisted and used by people that had ulterior motives. Every page, I've used this line before, this is out of a kid's book from back at the turn of the 19th to 20th century. Every page of our history looks to God. And the reason that we're struggling so much today, folks, is because not only we had struggles before this, but there was a really, I read this or watched this somewhere recently. The really distinct difference is that everybody used to acknowledge this truth. So we still messed up. We still made mistakes. We still did some pretty bad things. But in those moments, we acknowledged, either during the moment or after, that we had made mistakes and we still maintained that core value that the country was born a Christian nation, that those are the values that really hold us together, those teachings of Christ. The really devious difference today is, folks, that we don't share that as a population anymore. That common core value, that one thing that could always pull us together as Americans was we were a Christian nation based on those teachings, and we don't have that. That's the difference today, folks, is we, we don't have that anymore. And that's why the country is just absolutely ripping itself apart. We have got to get back, particularly in culture and education, to focusing on God at the core of our institutions, our public policy, our government, our education. That's the only way we're going to survive this. Only way. Without doubt. So, at any rate, go back. You can listen to those things again every once in a while. Uh, despite having to listen to my voice. I know that's the downside there, but the material is what's important. The principles, the commentary on our history, those are the things that we need to remember and really need to focus on. Sure to appreciate y'all staying here. I look forward to these conversations. I enjoy them, even though it's just me talking to the trees and the rocks and the wind most of the time, but I know that y'all are out there. And I can see that it's continuing to grow. So I'm extremely grateful for that. Grateful for your time. Hope y'all are getting something out of it. And whatever your sphere of influence is, wherever you can spread the truth just a little bit, it helps so much, folks. It's like lighting a candle in a dark room. And the more candles we can get, the less darkness there is. So God bless y'all. God bless America. We'll talk to y'all again real soon.